McNulty standing for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to PO Forecast episode 103. Well it's two more losses since we last spoke and Pompey have won one game in seven. Joining me in the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you Andy? After that introduction Hugh, how could I not be perfect? Uh, the, the scene is set for another hour of just positive thinking and you can see that Freddie and John T are ready to come in off the long run as well. So looking forward to some positive vibes on a Wednesday night. Well, it's all smiles here. How are you doing? Hampshire Live, John T. Coleman. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, yeah, I'm all right. I, I wish we were analysing something a bit happier than Pompey's bad form, but very good to be back and thanks for having me on. No, it's great to have you on the show, John T. And Freddie Webb, how are you, mate? Always a pleasure, Hugh. Lovely to see everybody. Uh, yeah, it was dire, wasn't it? <laughs> Get stuck straight in, Freddie. Was that, was that a rhetorical question, mate? Or were you actually asking that as a serious question? No, no. I, I didn't know what to say. So I just, it was the first thought of my mind. It was dire. <laughs> oh, I was getting to it. The first thing we're going to review the Northampton game. Following on from that, we're going to review the slightly improved performance against Sunderland. <laughs> That's that, going to get comments, mate. Straight in there. Two shots on target at home. It was a slight improvement, you know? <laughs> all right, look, there was less goals conceded, all right, against a better team. Following on from that, we asked you guys, is the season done or is there hope for Portsmouth? Uh, you've actually sent messages in your uh, comments, your tweets, etc., your emails, since you now have an email address. And uh, yeah, it's much appreciated, guys. Again, we've got floods that we'll try and get for as many as possible. After that, we are going to speak to Keith from the Yellow Box podcast to preview the game against Peterborough. And also we'll be talking to Alan from the Salford FC podcast. Right, guys, let's get cracking from now. We're all raring to go from this. I can see it. Freddie's doing some sort of dance because he's so excited about it. Northampton. What a way to start. What a way to start. Let's be honest. The first goal, I was like, fair play. It was a bad free kick to give away, Andy, but he hit it like a butte, didn't he? Yeah, there's only so much analysis to do on that. Obviously, you don't want to be giving away dead ball positions, uh, dead ball set pieces in that area on the pitch. But sometimes you've just got to take a step back and say, yeah, that's a worldie of a free kick. Nothing anyone in the wall can do about it. You can't expect the keeper to save it. There are other goals that are far more preventable in that game and over the course of the season. Yeah, we we had a laugh about it on the call when the free kick was given away. And we said, well, it won't be funny if they knock it top bins. And then they knocked it top bins. So, yeah, it wasn't ideal. But sometimes you've just got to, yeah, clap, basically. It was, yeah, decent, decent goal. Yeah. And then, obviously, later on from that, we went and we saw the corner happen. Me and Andy were actually watching the game live on Zoom at the time. 
Andy's cringing the fact I'm going to tell this story. And as we're watching it on Zoom, uh, we thought, all right, another goal is coming here, just joking around. So Andy got his guitar out, started playing REM, Everything Hurts, and then the goal goes in again. Freddie Webb, the second goal, what's the marking going on in that in, at the back post there? It's just not very Pompey. In the last game, I discussed it, aerial ability. You don't lose that overnight. Uh, the marking was non-existent, wasn't it? <laughs> not, not even. I, I couldn't even tell if it was zonal marking. None of them were in areas that I would think where the defenders should have been. Yeah, it was just poor defending, wasn't it? In the third, in the third quarter, wasn't much better either. And John T, I'm going to go on to you because I believe you reported that Lee Brown said something before the third goal, and then it <laughs> oh happened. god, so no, it was it was before the second actually, but yeah. Um, so <laughs> this had come what two minutes after that really good free kick. By the way, Andy Cannon deserves a shout-out because the the foul for that free kick is arguably foul of the season. I don't know how he hasn't been booked for that. Yeah, like we were love. Fantastic. We love anyway, so much of the tackle. Yeah, I can't <laughs> believe he didn't get booked at least. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so that goal, obviously a corner goes out. Lee Brown, he's he's one of the few vocal players on the pitch in fair play, always very motivating whenever he plays. Um, <laughs> he shouted, we don't effing concede it from this. Ball come, well, I mean... And by the time he's finished saying that, the ball comes in, what, a second later and it's cleared all of them and um, and it's 2-0 and I just, oh. it was just amazement really. It was it was even as, it's just as painful now thinking about it. But the third one was again, you know, identical, but it just looked weirder because McGilvery ended up in such a bizarre position. He's like coming back on himself when he tries to collect, like, there's a screenshot of it or a photo of when it goes in and he's kind of backwards on a weird, it's so hard to work out what's happened there. But yeah, both goals, yeah, just awful. Worth pointing out, quick stats, sorry, I pointed out, uh, well, I picked up on earlier. Pompey have conceded seven goals from set pieces in, in League One this season. It's actually one of the lowest in the league. But four of them have been since Saturday, which... <laughs> Is terrifying. <laughs> we all know there's something going on in the squad or around the team. You can't just fall apart from a level of being good in the air, being able to head it. And we'll come on to the marking again in the Sunderland game. But this performance, Andy, was something else, wasn't there? We spoke to the Northampton guys before the game and told them that, you know, they have a good chance. I said nil-nil on BBC Radio Northamptonshire. They said to me, the Pompey fans are throwing us a bone there. This is a team that we should be beating. And what happened, mate? Come on, Andy. Really, it's a great question. I mean, I was on one of their follow-up podcasts on a Sunday where they do sort of a debrief with the opposition fan. And it was the first Sunday podcast they'd had after a win since November. And they were all disgustingly happy to be there. And, you know, and they... I'm loving that Freddie doesn't ever mute his mic, by the way. So we just get this one going, oh boy, in the background. It's wonderful. (laughs) Um, And they were just... Yeah, they we were getting a lot of sympathy. It was it was a sort of a surprise from them in that they were saying, "Oh, yeah." In in the prediction, you said you were playing quite badly at the moment, but we we kind of thought you were exaggerating. But yeah, you were terrible. That was the general vibe I was getting from them, which was quite interesting. Yeah, as you say, the I mean, with Pompey, the wheel like it's never just one wheel falls off, is it? It's like all four wheels just spring off at exactly the same time, or. You know, there's that uh, one of the there's a Formula One car from a few years ago. I think it was John Eric Verne, where the front two wheels just both pop off at the same time as he's approaching the corner. It's never boring, and yeah, that first half, all four wheels just came off the wagon, didn't they? And 
they, I mean, we Jonathan mentioned there about how Lee Brown is normally very vocal and obviously was vocal in this game. But in general, that is effective in terms of like holding some sort of cohesive line together and at least having that sort of discipline that when things start falling apart, you hold your line and you get through to the next break, whether it's half-time or whatever, or it was the water break over the summer, whatever. You get through to that next break without anything you know, dreadful happening. And they just couldn't stem the flow in that first half. And as soon as Northampton Town got up ahead a of steam and a bit of momentum, it just looked like it was going to go in every time they, they got into the Pompey box. Like it could have been five or six in that first half. And based on the chances, you wouldn't have said it was unreasonable. And they were the better team over the 90 minutes by an absolute distance. And I don't think there's a single Pompey fan that would disagree with that, that I've come across. Legitimately, one of the first halves, uh, one of the worst halves uh, from Pompey I've seen in my entire life. Not even, not even close. Anything else to add to that? Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just on that, I think it's a very good point that, similar to what Freddie said, um, like both Guy Whittingham said, obviously he's had a very long association with the club, worst first half he's ever seen. Neil Allen, he's been covering it for the, covering the club for the news, done almost eight hundred games, worst first half he's ever seen, and you know. When, you, when you've got people like that saying it as well and, and, and so many fans as well, then, you know, it, it, it's quite obvious that it was it was just terrible. Like, we're just in the press area. It's obviously, we go and see Pompey twice a week and, you know, there's good times, there's bad times. But we were just, you don't know what to say after that. You were just, like, speechless. And, God, I, I, I've just got a horrible feeling of every time I drive past the sign in for Northampton, it's just going to bring back some kind of... PTSD and I'm not even a like you know I'm not a Pompey support I just I cover the club and follow them closely but even even just being there was just from a Pompey perspective was just pretty horrible to be honest that's the thing though isn't it like these are the the, the club position has, has been a lot in the past when there's been pressure mounting on Jacket at different times that it's the social media vocal minority and you don't hear feedback from the the sort of the the supportive majority, which at times is certainly true. And social media does skew, you know, what you think the, the fan opinion is overall. But yeah, as you say, when you get senior journalists, you've got people like Andy Moon, Neil, uh, Neil Allen and, um, and Guy Whittingham coming out and saying such sort of hyperbolic statements. You know, it's not like they come out and say that every week and you can, you can tell how much it hurts them to say them and it's, they don't enjoy saying that sort of thing. There's no, there's no pride in, in criticising performances like that. And I think it just puts it in perspective compared to a lot of other performances where you just get people saying, oh, yeah, we're playing awfully. This is like next level up from that, I think. Yeah, especially since the fact that people like Neil Allen and John T, etc., have to talk to these players on a day-to-day basis. So if you're going to come out and that harshly about the performance and and it was fair play it was completely needed as well I think I think otherwise you, people are just going to disengage from your media if you just decide to come out and be like oh no it wasn't that bad yeah there's no point in that it's dishonesty you've got to be that honest but I'm guessing that that feedback is gonna is gonna hurt and I, I think it should do really I think it needs to um, and there needs to be a reaction to that and unfortunately we didn't see that um, in the game we'll come on to against Sunderland so I mean I was expecting nothing to change i don't expect the manager to be fired we said this on the podcast you know throughout the year your opinion you know in out whatever it is shake it all about he's here for the rest of the season and i think the owners from what you know are probably going to back that so we've got 13 more games people so it's going to be an interesting ride just going back to the game quickly because that's what we're, we're supposed to be talking about and i said i'd make this bit punchy and then just decided to go on speaking for two minutes but 
<laughs> the fourth goal, Freddie, you talk us through it, mate, so it's not just my voice. Oh, my God. Right. Um, looking back at it I, it, I still don't blame McGilvery. He had to he had to come off his line almost out of his penalty area because the positioning with the defenders was nowhere near it. The defensive structure wasn't there, and that's what annoyed me the most. I thought, I thought maybe after the third goal, they would at least just ha- have have some structure about them, at least, and at least not concede again before half time. Johnsy, we won the second half inverted commas, didn't we? There were lots of changes going that happened. Do you think those changes were actually effective in going to win the game, or do you think it was just more of the same? And Northampton sat back, and we got a goal back as a consolation. Um, yeah, no, I think there was definitely there was definitely a, a sort of positive intent. Jacket didn't make them for the sake of you know trying to hold out or anything. They changed back to four four two, and you know you could tell they did play a much better tempo. I thought that there's actually an element of control about Pompey in, in late on, and I thought you know it, it was awkward because when I did my post match Facebook live, like I kind of wanted to praise not well I say praise just comment on the fact that there was a positive when those four came on but you kind of felt guilty for purely because of how bad the first 45 minutes have been but but no there was definitely an element of even if it even if we don't realistically a win might be too much a point might be too much but for the sake of it and you know we're not going to not try and by the same token and and like Hawula and Harrison they 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 impressed when we played together at Peterborough in the, in the trophy earlier this season and you know, that was a partnership that was turned to, looked quite good. Uh, Harvey White played some really good passes when he came on. James Bolton joined that back four and brought more control. It allowed Watmore to go and play back at centre-back. And, you know, I think his last couple of games had shown that Watmore's just not a right-back. You know, you need him in the middle of defence. And, um, and, and yeah, having Bolton back, he felt, considering the position Bolton's been in for much of the season, he's, he's kind of, it's it's refreshing to now see him in the team because he does he's, he's an experienced head he's a natural right back and you know that realistically when he plays the rest of the back four will be pretty balanced next to him but no I do think they ended that game positively if you think about obviously there's White's White's penalty that he's won just before that Hawula had a chance but almost went in it was a really positive chance and yeah I, I was I thought leaving Northampton that if the team that ended that game started against Sunderland then you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I was confident based off Northampton, but at the same time, I was more optimistic. And it wasn't too dissimilar, to be fair. But but no, and um, Jacket kind of he said after the game that you know when you go four 0 down before half time, whilst you will go and fight for it realistically, at the same time you're, you're playing for your pride at that point. And I don't think he's wrong in saying that because I mean, how when has a team ever come back from four goals? It's been very very rare that it's happened. So, you know, he's been realistic there and, uh, and yeah, he, there would have been an element of him wanting to try and get something for the game. Um, and there was a positive, but obviously nowhere near enough. Yeah, yeah, nowhere near enough. And I suppose playing for your pride is a better phrase than a good way to lose. So we'll credit that on in a sense. Just moving on to the Sunderland game, because I, I don't want to dwell anymore on Northampton. I'm actually crying inside slightly thinking about it. And I wasn't even at the game like John T. 
you know, he spoke to quite a lot of Sunderland fans. Freddie Webb has now gone down as the most pessimistic man to ever report on the the Roke report. Congratulations, <laughs> there, mate. It's now being uh, shared in the news. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put I'll put that in my Twitter bio and on my LinkedIn, shall I? Yeah, do it, mate. So uh, interesting for your preview, but you weren't wrong, mate. I mean, you're wrong by one goal. It was a two 0 two 0 loss. But let's be honest, you don't get any shots on target in the game. That's just embarrassing. The games we've played against Sunderland at home, where I've been at Fratton Park and watched us beat Sunderland, the intense. I know that can come down to some of the fans, etc. But that's the same for every team in this league. We don't look motivated to go out there. It's a big issue at the moment. And you, you've got to look across it. Sunderland, mate, I've, we've all got friends up there as well. This is, you know, my, my inbox has been bombarded by this as well. So I've got a personal gripe on this one, let's be honest. But let's start from the beginning. 4-4-2 set up, looking good. Harrison and Marcus can't play up front together, can they, Andy? Yeah, we've we've talked this to death, haven't we, on previous pods? And it's again, it's happening. Exactly. Yeah, I I agree with John T's sentiment that if the eleven that had finished that Northampton game started this, there's a there's a little bit more intent there in my eyes, looking at the the lineup. And yeah, it wasn't a lineup that put fear into any Sunderland fan, I don't think. And what you want to be doing is when you're in a in a dodgy run of form, is to be to have players on the pitch who you know have got little moments in them that are going to potentially you, you break a bad run with one individual moment of something a little bit special, something a little bit, you know, unexpected out of the blue, a little star moment. And we all know that I'm a big advocate for, for John Marquis and I've stood up for him a lot on the podcast when he's been getting grief, but he doesn't look like doing that at the moment. And Harrison doesn't look like doing that at the moment. And I know that Freddie's going to jump in with free Hawula at any point when I'm talking here. Free Hawula. Uh, there we go. Yeah, hashtag free Hawula from Freddie. But it's just not a lineup that that fills any opposition team with dread. And we can comment on the defensive frailties and the, the defence or the, the marking from that. The first goal was, well, it wasn't marking. It was non-existent. Well, no, he'd, he'd lost his man before. The, I, I've watched it back a few times. He's lost his man before the kick is actually taken, which is quite impressive, really, when you think <laughs> about how, how long that takes. We're going to obviously talk about defensive frailties, but the fact that we're so toothless going forward means that, you know, even if you take out those defensive mistakes, we're not winning that game very often. And I don't know if Fred's got XG stuff lying around. He normally does. But even if we don't make individual mistakes and and concede two goals there the odds of us winning that game are very, very slim, I think, based on what I saw going forward. The team section was very frustrating. Harvey White playing on the left wing, that annoyed me. He looked completely at sea playing in the left wing. I don't understand why that was the case unless unless it was completely down that. to fitness. Sorry, Fred. But he's he's he played on the left, the left before he, uh, when he's been at Spurs in the youth team. And I, I think he's looked pretty decent there for us since signing. That's that's mm. my opinion on it. Yeah, yeah. Lennon said he plays left wing back. He can play left left mid or, or centre mid. He Lennon's looks so much more comfortable mm. centre mid, though. That it, it took it away for me. Well, he's like Michael Jacobs, isn't he? He's sort of a, not a natural winger, but playing out wide. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. No. I think I thought I thought when he started there at Oxford, I thought it was such an odd selection. He was really good there. And I actually think, barring last night, he had a bit of an off night. In the last four games, as poor as Pompey have been for the majority of those four games, Harvey White has been one of a few that's actually looked consistent, looked like he's going to make something happen and, and and kind of has in some cases as well. So, But I do agree of the same token with Freddie that he did have a bit of an off night last night. But on the whole, he has worked in that role. Go on, Freddie, carry on. <laughs> no, it's all right. Um, 
yeah, it, it, it was the inevitability of it that annoyed me because I went into this game pretty apathetic, thinking, yeah, Sunderland will control the midfield today. And Portsmouth will try and, uh, try and look to hit them on the counter, even though we're playing at Fratton Park, which is quite funny. Then the goal went in very early and I thought... Pfft. I thought it was done from the, from the first goal. The players looked leggy or very leggy. That their heads were down. I think the for me one of the few players who deserved praise, Ryan Williams, worked his absolute socks off in that game. I thought his his through ball to Marquis, which he which Marquis shanked wide, was very good. One of the few times that he managed to drift into the middle and get some space. But yeah, the attacking performance was dreadful. The XG, if you wanted to know what the XG was, was. 0.45, which is woeful. Uh, it was so, that high, was it? <laughs> it yeah, no, I was surprised as well. Literally, I'm baffled. I'm absolutely literally, baffled. I think, it's the, I think it's the second lowest of the season, I think, behind the game where the, the two no win against Hull City were oh, on yeah. target with the two on target. Yeah, just, just for understanding, if, if an XG is 0.45, does that basically mean if we played the game twice... We'd have a ninety percent chance of score. Sorry, a, a nine. Yeah. yeah, can you just explain yeah. the stats? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are right. Yeah, Jesus. in theory, anyway. <laughs> We'd have a ninety percent chance of scoring once across two games, basically. Yeah, right? yeah you didn't. Yeah. You didn't need to know what the stat was. You could. You could just t- good figure grief. that that's, out. Yeah, that's demoralising. <laughs> and defensively, I didn't think Portsmouth looked that good defensively either. To be honest, it, the, the, mista- the mistakes are creeping in now, and they're becoming a feature every game, which is very worrying. I mean, okay. Let's let's quickly go back to the Williams pass. I thought the Williams pass was good. He he moves really well. I thought his movement was good. He, he breaks away from a player. Pompey aren't making these positive runs going forward on and off the ball, which is really my gripe with it. Which is what I thought Harvey White was doing very well with his progressive passing, passing the right way going forward, and also coming to collect the ball properly. In this situation, you have and John, you can tell from right here being at the game, but you've got Cannon on the right. For, for the goal we concede, right? When he whips the ball back across the goal and he, he, he gives, tries to play it back across the goal to, to rag it. It's an awful ball, really, because what Tom Naylor does is he looks, he looks at Andy Cannon, who's quite drifted quite far wide out towards the touchline, and he looks at him, he's jogging around, and he just shifts his arm over, shift the play the other way. It's, there's no one coming short for an option there, and he plays a... Plays a difficult ball across. Raggett should have dealt with it first time. There's no confidence. And in the end, it ends up in the back of the net. Do you think that, Jonty, that's to do with that movement I'm talking about? Yeah, no. I, it's an absolutely awful mistake from Sean Raggett. But I do, he doesn't get put in the best position to start with. And, you know, I, I mean, I watched it back a few times because it's one of those, it's kind of like an out-of-body experience when it happens at first. You're like, God, does that just happen? But, but yeah, I've watched it back a few times in the last um, like 24 hours or so. And yeah, he doesn't get put in the best position. But at the same time, like, I think if you look at the way, because Raggett does actually pass it off before, um, he does pass it off before. It's not like he doesn't touch the ball. He goes to pass it off, I think, presumably to Daniels at left back. But it doesn't look quite very convincing. I think the issue is, if Raggett knows he's got Jordan Jones bearing down on him, he's not got really a safe pass to play it to. I think there's got to be an urgency to just get your foot through it. Like even if it even if it goes yeah. out for a throw in in a pretty awful position, you take that. Like you take that risk, and if you concede in that position, you've still probably done the right thing in that in after being put under that pass. But it, it's pretty awful from from Raggett, but Cannon's pass hasn't helped him whatsoever there. 
No, it's not. Especially when you've got a player who is playing in such woeful form that he's accidentally dragging players down when he misses it for penalties. He's not marking players and he's not playing to his best, let's be honest. Well, you know, and Sean Raggett can be superstar. But when he's not, though, he makes some absolute clangers. Michael Jacobs comes on, arguably gets in the right position. Should have got a penalty. Would have flattered us with John T. That was a penalty, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, like... like I was thinking, it, it it seemed a bit. It's one of those that goes either way. If you're a Pompey fan, if you're a Pompey fan or a Pompey player, you feel aggrieved you haven't got it. But if you're on the Sunderland side of it, you, you, I don't think it was like clear. I've seen more clear cut. It was certainly more clear cut than whatever John Marcus was appealing for in the first half. That was. I mean, I I, I saw it. I saw it, I saw it live, and when you see it. Quick time, obviously, you're reporting, you're watching, you've got a million things going on. You see Marcus go down, and given sort of the attack and how good of a chance it was, you think, oh, I could do with watching that again. And then about a minute later, you just hear this roar of laughter from the press box. They've just seen it back and gone, oh my God, what is he doing? And then you kind of know, yeah, probably not a penalty. But no, this one, this one probably had a bit more substance to it. Kelly Jacket, when I've spoken to him in the last few days, he, he's kind of said he... He's kind of, without getting too excited, he's kind of spoke about how pleased he is to have Michael Jacobs back. I think it's no secret that, you know, in the games that start in the middle of October when he did play before he got injured uh, away at Sunderland, he had a big impact and, and he's got that added quality, you know. Before he arrived at the club, he's he's gone three seasons in League One, got promoted in all three and played an instrumental part in all of those seasons. And I think even if Pompey don't get top six or don't get promoted this season, what you've got to look at is players with experience at getting it done. Jacobs is one of a few in that squad who has got promoted out of League One and multiple times, but he's missed a lot of this season for injury. Had that spell where, you know, a, a three, four-week injury in this league, that's eight, nine games, like just because of how, especially this season, because it is literally Saturday, Tuesday every week. And yeah, I think... Similar with him and, you know, that there's players, he's, he's got that experience, whereas other end of the spectrum, Harvey White, he, he's he's got that quality as well where he can flick it past someone and, you know, he's developing and you can tell that he, he's still trying to develop and, and become more rounded in senior football, but he can, he can do those things. So, yeah, I think he's got that other quality and Pompey will, will want him starting every week now and, and that half an hour was encouraging, I'd say, from what we did, the glimpse we did to Jacobs. I think when we're talking about those players who have got that spark and that moment in them that I mentioned earlier, you'd say that, yeah, you'd, I don't want to hark on too much about loan players, but White and Byers have both shown that to me already in the short time they've been at the club and, and Jacobs is that third player. And as you say, when he picked up that injury a few weeks ago, that I don't think it's a coincidence that that coincided with a downturn in form because he's one of those players that can pick out a ball out of nothing and his balls through to the strikers have created numerous opportunities and goals that, as the Sunderland game has demonstrated, we've, we've struggled to create at times, um, to put it politely. So, yeah, in terms of creativity, you say that those three, although it's maybe difficult to fit all three of them into the eleven at the same time, those are the three for me that are sort of the crunch players who are going to create chances from midfield for the most part. I'm talking about George Bias. I'm a fan. Watched him play a bit for Swansea, thinking he's a good player. We spoke to the guy, guys from Swansea. They've all got good things to say about him. Obviously, he was their player of the season in that under-23s team that went on to everyone else in that team. Seems to be bought for about 10 to £12 million, pounds, the team he made up of. 
he looked great playing for us. I thought when he played, he gets dropped and he hasn't really been able to make an impact since in this sort of bizarre rotational system that Kenny Jackett's been trying to find combinations. John T, I've been saying on the podcast for weeks now that we look at players like Andy Cannon and Tom Naylor, obviously class midfielders and been good in the centre for us all season, but do they need a rest? And was, wouldn't it just be more sensible to start potentially one of those players alongside 35 games in the championship last season and the best touch in the team, George Byers? Yeah, yeah, it, it does. It does give him a rep. Um, there, there is the argument they, they perhaps might need a rest. I think that's kind of summed up when Andy Cannon went off with a hamstring injury and, you know, he's probably a doubt for the final and, and hopefully, he, hopefully he's not out for long because he has been a really impressive season for the player for large parts of the season and um, the issue is with George Byers I think that I mean I didn't watch a Bristol Rovers game because you know I, I was away but um I was at I was at obviously Northampton and he came on and played for an hour first few minutes he got really involved he played a few nice touches put in one good cross for Marquis there's one little nutmeg he did about 10 minutes in I thought oh hello this is this is this is quite good but what you have to think, and this is by no means a reflection of George Byers, but this is probably the situation Kenny Jackett's got. George Byers has started twice for Pompey. They've had to switch to 4 2 3 1 to get him in because if you look at his best credentials, it's playing between the lines, it's through balls, it's crosses, it's, and, you know, he, he's probably a bit too attack minded to play as like a number eight, I'd say. But the two games he started are Bristol Rovers, where they've lost 3 1 and Northampton where they've lost 4-1. They've had to change system from the trusted 4-4-2 where they've got most of their results this season. They've had to switch to 4-2-3-1 and in both times when they've started buyers, it simply hasn't worked. That's not a reflection on him. That's merely a reflection that perhaps this Pompey team just don't suit 4-2-3-1. You look at the opening weeks of this season, they played it and Marquis looks so lost up front. They switched to 4-4-2. It all started going, started going really well. They switched back to 4-2-3-1. Byers is starting and Pompey are getting poor results. It's not a reflection on buyers. It's just, it boils down to two things. One, Pompey are more consistent and get better results when they play 4-4-2. And two, it does question the signing of buyers because he's a high-profile player to come down and play in League One, given, you know, the minutes he's done in the Championship recently. Does he suit this system in a 4-4-2? I'm, I'm really not sure. But he's clearly got a bit of added quality compared to many other players in, in what he does best. But he's always played yeah. central midfielder for, for Swansea. He's not been played, apart from at youth level, as a 10 in the under-23s where he was pushed forward to play in that role. 10 goals, 10 assists in, in 10. But he's actually been utilised as a as a centre midfielder who's got defensive responsibility. Well, to, ca- to caveat that, um, I, th- I think the, the issue there is perhaps that Swansea, they've often played, you know, 4 3, three and things like that. That's kind of their identity and... When you've got three, you can, you can sort of let them rotate and go forward and stuff. And I think if you played 4-3-3 of this Pompey team, perhaps, I reckon Byers could work there next to Naylor and Cannon, for example, or, or, or two others. But playing Byers in a two, in a 4-4-2, I'm, I'm just not sure. Because that, I mean, as you kind of mentioned, Tom Naylor's played a lot of football this season. Andy Cannon's played a lot of football this season. If you're playing Byers next to one of them two, realistically they're probably going to have a lot of defense, even more defensive responsibility on their hands than they already do. All right, let's move on. And I put out another woeful display, so Pompey lose to Sunderland. I hope we can argue about that one. Is it time to plan for next season or can Pompey still turn it round? 
Thank you again for everybody messaged in. It's much appreciated as always. Christopher Moat messages in. Even if this team makes the playoffs, there's no way we stand a chance in them. No backbone from the players all the way up to the owners at the moment. This is not the Portsmouth I know. Manager not good enough. Players not good enough. Time to start again. Burn it down and start again, Freddie Webb. Should we get the torches out or is there something to save? Well, we'll get, get the tanks ready on purpose. Oh, I don't know how. It just seems that this dip in form is different to the other dips in form that from Portsmouth sides for the last three seasons. It's the mixture of the tactical changes not working and the morale seeming at rock bottom and couple that with the fixture congestion as well. It just At the moment, I'm still surprised Portsmouth are in the playoffs, to be honest. The, the way they're playing at the moment, since that Bristol Rovers game, it's not the same team that was playing earlier in the season. Well, in that sense, though, you could say that we have obviously got some foundations here because there were sparks earlier on in the season. There was a team that became top of the league at Christmas and there was a team playing a system that's successful. So maybe I could say that we've got some of those pieces in the squad here. We just need someone to to pull it together and stamp some identity on it. So it's a shame Jacket won't go now, really, in some ways, because you, if we're going to burn it all down, we might as well start the uh, the rebuild now. But at the same time, the ownership obviously feels that there's something to save from the season. As Freddie says, we are still in the playoffs. Maybe they can turn it round, Andy. Yeah, I mean, the track record in the playoffs over the last 123 years obviously hasn't been too great. Uh, but, you know, it's never too late for a change in form in the playoffs. But um, I think that the whole burn it down start again, I think that's it's a very extreme reaction when the squad is largely the same squad that was top of the league at Christmas. And again, I'm not going to sit here and with all this, a lot of faux positivity at the moment, because things are fairly dire, but square one doesn't need to be where we go back to. If we've ideally, you know, you'd rewind the clock to about two and a half months ago and just crack on and do things slightly differently. Whatever's happened internally, you know, can be speculated about to death. But I, I don't know if square one rebuild from the ground is is needed at this point in that if it's savable with, with smaller changes, this is the attitude the owners have clearly got. If it's salvageable with smaller changes, that's the sort of the the low variance play is what you'd call it in poker, is that you sort of it's a slightly less risky going, you know, completely gung-ho and changing things completely if not needed. It's you sort of yeah you limit the the reward possibilities but you also limit the risk possibilities and a lot of people will say well you know what is the the worst that can possibly happen which is mid table or low, lower mid table if things completely fall off the bandwagon so you know there's an argument for both i'm going to do that classic thing of sitting on the fence here and let jonty have an opinion cuz he looks like he really wants to you know say something strong and emotive do i <laughs> 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 i mean i'll give it a bash yeah Going off the same question, I think there's kind of points to be had in all of them, but I'm, I'm kind of generally with Andy in the sense that Pompey's still sick, Pompey's still in the playoffs. Agreeing with Freddie, I'm not sure how. You, you see a terrible performance check the table. Oh, some results have gone their way. But yeah, and I, and I don't think the last three games especially have, have shown anything remotely like a playoff side. But Pompey's still in the top six. They've got... Um, you know, they've, they've got the same... It's not like they've got nine first-team players out injured. We've got the same squad. It's just a case of getting that confidence back. Now, whether it's a fluky win that comes somewhere and, and all of a sudden that sparks, sometimes that's what it takes. I personally, and, you know, everyone will have a very different opinion on this, I'm sure, but 
Pompey goes on Saturday to Wembley in a cup final that on paper has very little relevance, barring the chance for players who won't be playing at Wembley, regu- possibly regularly in their careers, to go and play in a Wembley Cup final. And you can't, you know, fair play to them. They earn that opportunity or many of the squad did last season. But I think there's a wider meaning to this. There's an opportunity there where if Pompey win, even if it's 1-0 or a scrappy game, they go and win that. They've won a cup at Wembley. They, they, they can have that celebration. There's that unity of that shared experience. And I think it's a possible confidence-boosting opportunity. I've actually written about exactly that for my piece for tomorrow morning on Hampshire Live. And just purely on the fact that, yeah, it's, you know, the, the, the last couple of games have been terrible and, and there's no hiding from that. But now you can, for a few hours on Saturday, you can kind of forget that. It will still be, you know, the elephant in the room. But you can forget about that. Go and focus on going win a competition. Go and try and get that morale back. And the examples I kind of referred to, if you look at, and it's two Premier League examples, but if you look at um, Chelsea, for example, they... Uh, one against Luton in the FA Cup, I think it was in Lampard's last game in charge, and and you know and, and they did look like a team rejuvenated. And after that, obviously Lampard went, Tuchel came in, and from then they've gone 11, 12 games unbeaten. Sheffield United, they hadn't won in 17 league games a season. They went and played Bristol Rovers in the FA Cup, scrappy, but they won, and they've gone on. I think they've had four wins in 13, which for Sheffield United is actually pretty good this season, and they won at Old Trafford. And it's just things like that where. Yes, on paper, this game against Salford isn't all that relevant. And it, if they got pumped there but finished in the top six, you, you kind of you take that of this current position. But I do think it's a really good opportunity to to think away from what's been going on, and and possibly if they get a the right result, get that confidence back, maybe it can just spark a run. Yeah, I think if, I was just looking back to when we won the final at Wembley. What was it a couple of years ago now? And Obviously, we came into that game in slightly better form than we have been. But after that Wembley final, we won four league games on the bounce. And I, I imagine that a part of that would have been the fact that, you know, winning breeds confidence and silverware breeds confidence and, and positive positive feelings. So, I mean, it feels like I'm sort of clinging on to hope a little bit here, but there is sort of a precedent there. And yes, if you look, you can see that we also won the three games before the final last time out. So things are a little bit different. But it must have played a part. So, you know, don't write it off, right? I'm clinging on to some positivity here because otherwise it still gets a bit too much at the moment. But there is a positive precedent there that hopefully history will repeat itself. Yeah. Okay. Michael Weizek messages and he says, plan for next season. Same results as prior years, poor run of form, ruins promotion chances and they can't even recover. Kenny Jacket doesn't know his best 11 and the negative tactics aren't working. If you keep doing what you're doing, you'll get the same result. Should be promoted already. I mean, on paper, with the quality that Kenny Jackett's had over the past two seasons, they should have been. I mean, think of lists and players. Matt Clark, Christian Burgess, uh, Ronan Curtis. There are so many players who other, other football, uh, football League supporters who interview them on here and look and go, wow, you have those players. Those play. It, 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 I want them. I want them for my football team, and it just seems like the last few seasons. It, 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 at certain times, the tactics don't get the best out of the players. They don't, and, early, early, and it's the, frust- the, the thing that's even more frustrating is early in the season it happened. Yes, maybe the um, 
the fixture congestion basically meant that Portsmouth couldn't press as well as they would have done earlier in the season, so they can't entirely replicate that form again. But you don't you don't throw that entire game plan out the window, do you? I think if you rotate the team a bit, you actually can implement a, a, a sort of a a high press. And if you look at Portsmouth generally, what we were saying is so good for the whole season is that we were pressuring teams. We, you know, we scored when we scored. We took our chances. We were confident, good at set plays in both ends, defensively and attackingly. you got to stick to what you're good at. And at the moment, we seem a little bit lost. Liam messages in. He says, don't think we can plan for next season so we know what's happening with the management. The players, contracts, Raggett and Harrison need to be dropped for the up-and-coming games because they simply have not been good enough However, it was a good way to lose. Andy, do you think that we can actually drop Raggett nice now, now for the game? I know Kenny Jackett said he thinks he's one of the best defenders in League One. On his day, he, he is, but he's a pretty good defender, but he's not been good recently. Drop him, put Nicolias in with uh, Jack Watmore's my shout. What, what would you say to that? Yeah, I think it's a tough one because on, on the one side of it, there have been a number of individual mistakes recently, as is extremely well documented and has been a source of a lot of frustration for us. But on the on the flip side of that, he's obviously seen as the senior centre-back in whichever partnership he's in, whether it's with Nicolaisen or Watmore. And one of the things I've been sort of fairly critical of recently has been dropping players for an individual mistake, whether or not it's the reason they were dropped. So, I mean, Lee Brown, after his mistake, was dropped for Daniels, for example. And I'm, I'm not of the school of thought where I think you should be playing in fear of one mistake costing you your place in the team. So I can see both sides of it. And again, we're not going to sit on the fence here. I would rather see a Nicolaisen and Watmore centre-back pairing at least tried, purely because what we've got at the moment is not working. And again, I don't see how it could be much worse to try it for 60 minutes of a game. Potentially use Salford as a, again, I've just said how important a cup final could be. Now I'm going with experimenting in the back four. So, you know, flipping like a light switch. But I mean, why not use it as, a, as an opportunity to play those two together and see if that centre-back pairing works? Because there's, again, I I genuinely don't particularly care if we win the final on Saturday or not in sort of the purely because of the trophy itself. And if, if sacrificing winning that trophy meant that we have got an idea of who our ideal two starting centre-backs are, or we see that Watmore and and Nicolaisen can play together. And even though they're youthful and they've not got a huge amount of match experience, they do work well together. If the cost of winning the trophy is we find that out, moving forward into the league, sort of the run-in, I'd 100% take that. So I I can definitely see an argument for wanting a change from Raggett playing at centre-back because it's kind of like the, the David James school of thought where a back pass on a bobbly pitch and you just have a split second of you hold your breath and just don't bobble, don't bobble, don't, nothing, just get it out. And I think if you reach that point with a player, then yeah, it's, it's a concern. And I would quite like to see a bit of a change. I think I, I could, I'd be an advocate for, I think in the, it's my overall answer to that, even though I've just rambled around it for two minutes straight. Good job, Andy. John T, is there any reason you can see why we can't play what more at the back there with Nikolai still on paper? They're the two technically best players we have at the back, the best passers, you could say. A bit more mobile, as good in the air. Well, maybe not, but John T, wh- why has this not been the case? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's one I've actually put a Kenny jacket myself. And yeah, he said, he, I said, can, like, I kind of phrased it in, you know, it, it was after Watmore got back, had that three game ban, and obviously Raggett and Nicolaisen had played, and, and it had actually largely been impressive as a two. But it was when Watmore came back that things started to change a bit with those two. 
um, even though Watmore wasn't getting a look in for a few games. Um, I think, I mean, Jack, it's not ruled out the possibility of it, but he seems so trusted with Raggett. I think Raggett's one of only two players in the whole outfield players in the whole of League One to so have played every minute this season. So that kind of sums up the trust Jacket has in him. And I think in terms of the traditional centre-half, win it in the air, lump it and threaten both boxes, Raggett's fantastic at that. And, and you know, but as you say, there's just been quite a few errors. Both, I mean, both goals, uh, you'd have to say, are probably his fault against Sunderland. So, yeah, I think, and if you are going to try it, whilst I do agree that you do go for a strong team against Salford and go and get that confidence back, I, I, I think after that game, You've got Peter, but only got Ipswich as the next two in the league after that. And you can't really experiment any of those games. And I think because there's no cup football at this stage of the season, it's a rare opportunity. And it's not like, whilst it would be, some might see it as resting ragged purely because he has been the mainstay off for three this season. At the same time, I think Jacket, Jacket's always said that he's got three good centre-backs there. And, and I am and I am inclined to agree with him there because, you know, they've all proved they can be, you know, play every week if they keep on their best form every week. Yeah, it's a it's a combina- combination that I do want to see tried, but obviously the opportunities to try it when there's no cut football and all that sort of thing. And when you trust Raggett, who, who like I say, can be excellent and can be a real threat at both ends of the pitch, that's the issue that, that Jacket's got because he has so much faith in Raggett, I think. But yeah, if you're asking me, I would give Watmore and Nicholas and a go. I'm just not sure when. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I, I do actually think as well, looking at the, at the two at the back there, do they miss a right back? Is that what's actually up at the back? This is what some of the listeners think. They're saying Callum Johnson's missing. It's, everything's out of balance on that side. Is it? Is it literally with a defensive line, a lack of balance and everything's torn up in the air? Yeah, possibly. Um, I would happily go on record and say I think Cam Johnson's been one of the best players this season. He's been so consistent. Yeah, yeah. He's been a fantastic signing. And he's he's similar to, you see it in um, other teams where sometimes you don't notice him. It's like you don't know what you've got till it's gone. You lose Johnson for a few games and there has been that balance issue. And that's what I mean. The last half an hour at Northampton, and I think I thought James Bolton was one of Pompey's best players against Sunderland. And, um, you know, they just... They look controlled back there and, you know, the two goals have come from two errors. But if you take the rest of the game as a whole in context, there was some kind of structure there, at least there was some kind of balance. Yes, there was there was those two errors that have cost Pompey the game and they haven't done anything at the top end of the pitch. But in terms of balance of that back four, it's the most settled it's looked for a good few games against the Sunderland side who have tops who might be a bit out of reach, but, you know, you'd fancy them if they do, if they are finishing in the playoffs. Gav messages in. He says, turn it round once, we'll turn it round again. Fingers crossed. Can't tell if they're behind your back there, Gav, or if you're saying that for hopefully. So uh, from your other messages, I'm not sure, mate. Message me at PO Forecast. Richard Ira messages in. He says, the performances are getting worse. Hate the statement, but lost the dressing room. The fans' attitudes are becoming poisonous. When I sit down to watch, there's no excitement anymore. I'm just wondering how many we'll lose by. Well, to be honest, Richard, I think that that's a fair enough comment at this moment in time, especially when the first goal goes in and we haven't managed to get a win back. Andy, what are you saying, mate? I think those are separate points, though. I think feeling like distant from the team and feeling like switched off from the team is different from expecting us to lose. I think you can you can have a team that's bang out of form and potentially losing a lot of games on the run and still feel quite connected to them. Whereas at the moment, it's the fact that it's the combination of those two factors that's the big issue. And I mean, to, to speak frankly, I've not felt more distant from the club 
sort of in terms of like a feeling of general closeness to a club I love. I've not felt more distant for a good number of years than I do at the moment. And whether or not, you know, that that's still the case when we're winning on the pitch. And COVID would have definitely exacerbated that. It definitely would have made it worse. But I, yeah, I do think it's a combination of those two things that's making it even more difficult at the moment than it would be if we were having a bit more, like as I said last week, more transparency on what's happening behind the scenes and track situations. That, yeah, I don't know. I think if we had more of an idea what was going on, we could feel closer to the club. And then as a result, you can kind of get through the rocky on the on the field performances. It's just the fact that it's sort of a, a right-left hook combination that's a, a bit more of a gut punch at the moment. Sorry, can I just jump in there? I just want to ask you, obviously, you know, you, you've all been sort of dedicated Pompey supporters for a long period of time. And, you know, the, the sort of mood towards Jacket is it, clear for it from, you know, just a general like consensus from Pompey fans. Do you feel that, uh, as Andy said there, he felt quite distant at the minute. Is that just down to, to results on the pitch? Or do you think that even if you were going to games every week and you, and you were seeing this, because you're still going and because you're still seeing the same people every week or every other week, do you feel like, do you feel that there would be much of a difference? Or I just want to know your opinion on that. No, because obviously, not, no, 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 no I, I thought that would be the case, but it is, it's because it's so unique, this situation. It's, it's so hard to gauge. At the moment, it's very us and them. That's what it feels like. And that's thought, even the, the sort of the same as coming out of the club, it's sort of that that siege mentality phrase that was thrown around in the, the reports coming out this week. And siege mentality is by definition, we shut ourselves in. Everyone outside the walls of Fratton Park is, you know, irrelevant, out of the picture. We're fixing this internally. Don't care what anyone else thinks. For me, that's the antithesis of what Pompey has stood for for the last decade where it's gone through PST, fans and po- fans and Pompey, family club. There's a really nice sort of symbiotic we need. We've literally needed each other relationship going on. And then this sort of closing ranks, I don't know, you, you can see why they've done it at times because some of the stuff on social media is disgusting and it's toxic. So you can see it from that aspect. But at the same time, the sort of more middle of the road, moderate, not verbally abusing people, mm. fans are also just getting disenchanted with how the club views us at the moment. That that'd be my take on it. I don't know if Fred and you would agree. Yeah, the connections definitely waned a lot. Um, it was like last season when, when people were talking about Jackie getting the boot after the playoff semi final and Mark Catlin going, "Oh, it's just a minority on social media." It's definitely not anymore. Yes, there's loads of horrible stuff on social media, as we all know, and we all don't want to read. But it's getting to the point now where I think at least a strong minority, a strong majority of fans now are sick of the situation that Portsmouth are in, and that situation. Uh, and and I think that what makes it even worse is yes, we can't go, but it's the fact that the board, uh, in the fans' minds, aren't going to do anything to change it. It's going to be okay. We may as well just hope and pray Portsmouth are getting in the playoffs, and. The evidence is that they're not at the moment. It's very dismissive, I think, John, at the moment. I think that's what the fans feel. The fans feel dismissed at a time where the club really needed to make open arm gestures to bring fans closer to the club due to the lack of, you know, being able to go to games. And I think we all know this from work that we're sort of like keeping up this sort of trying to keep up that social bond and all the things you miss from being with people. And it's a really sad state of affairs that the club have decided to close the doors up rather than send messages out and try and welcome people back or in. I think 
think that's what it is. And we spoke to Johnny Ertel on the podcast and we were talking about you know, when we went down to League League Two and stuff like that. But I remember, I remember that. And I remember us being like, you know, you're fucking useless. It's only 3-1, like to other teams and stuff. And us all singing and, you know, being on the terrace together. And, you know, even if you weren't at the games, that was the mentality when we were just getting bombed every game. It didn't matter because of who we were and everyone was proud to be to be Portsmouth. But at the moment, the club aren't really allowing, enabling that to, to happen, really, I think. I think, and that's where, the, that's where it comes from. I think at the moment, would you really say that, like, based on the relationship, would you say you really are, like, proud to be Pompey at the moment? I know that's the phrase that, you know, it's the Express FM tagline and in general, yeah, I I live and die for the... Like, I, that's definitely phrased wrong. I don't die for the club. But, like, I... I you will do, though. One day. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Like, One day you will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're sort of... They're just... They are a huge part of my life. And, like, at the moment, am I... I, I look at the the toxicity of social media and I look at the the sounds coming out of the club towards the fans in terms of putting up the barriers and, you know, we will fix this internally to prove you wrong as fans. And it's it's just not a sustainable relationship and it worries me. And I think the fact that it's in the current climate is making it a lot worse because, as you said, so many people are feeling isolated and all of us are fairly lucky in that we've got some sort of work or social circle or family unit. We've all got someone. There are so many Pompey fans who are completely isolated in the last 12 months and football coming back was huge for them. And their football club is a huge thing for them. And it's a feeling of community and it's a community club and this, that and the other. And just that, that siege mentality, us versus you, it's, it's as well as the sort of the direct annoying a lot of people, it's actually damaging to fans who use the club as something to, to as a crutch for their mental health. And yeah, I, I, I really don't think it's just performance-based. I think it, it goes a lot deeper than that at the moment. Not a chance we'll get anywhere this season, says Matt. And with eight first-team players' contracts expiring, I can only see it getting worse for us next season. Even if we get a good manager in, every season we lose key players on freeze from contracts expiring. Every year it's damaging. Fair enough, Matt. Um, yeah, shit times. Justin Kane messages in. Kenny needs to go. That that display yesterday was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. I mean, what else can we say? We've gone through it on the review. Cheers for messaging in. Shout out massively to the Devon Blues, by the way, repping us on Facebook. We really appreciate you guys listening to us again. Um, yes, yeah, so cheers for that. All right, lads. We're going to move on now, and we're going to go and speak to Keith from the Peterborough Yellow Block podcast. Um, yeah, it was great to speak to him and check out our preview here with Keith from the Yellow Block podcast. All right, so I'm here with Keith from the Yellow Block podcast. And Keith, thanks for coming on the show. All right, I'm looking forward to it. Nice one. All right, let's start right at the beginning. Let's start the let's start of the season because for quite a lot of people, Peterborough, one of the favourites to go up, sadly alongside Portsmouth. How do the fans feel you're doing at the moment? And do you feel you're meeting those expectations in second? If you'd have asked me that two weeks ago, every single fan would have said, we're winning the league. Um, we were full of confidence. The last three results that have gone against us, we haven't been brilliant. We haven't been that bad, but we're sort of lacking a bit now. A lot of fans are saying, yeah, we're not going to finish top anymore. I still personally think that we will win the league. Um based on the fact that the league isn't very good this season. Yeah, you've still got your big clubs, obviously Pompey, Sunderland, Hull, 
all big clubs in the league, but none of them are that good. Um, at the start of the season, if you'd have said to me, we've, we've got a good chance of winning the league, it's still in our own hands, I'd have bit your hand off for it. But now, now I do think it is very possible that we are going to be winning the league or certainly promoted at the least. So what's the reason then for, do you feel, for this sort of recent struggles of three games? You've got a nil-nil against Oxford, a 2-1 against, I'm guessing, the Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank effect there at Burton, and then you've got your 3-1 against Hull. So is that just a bit of an unlucky run? You know, you can't win every game. Is that the situation you feel at Peterborough? Yeah, the nil-nil um, on the night, not a bad result. Like, you take a draw away at most grounds in League One. Um, Burton... They've just come into amazing form when we played them. We've just come off the back of a nil-nil, so we're not brilliant, but we're still in a bit of confidence. Didn't play as well as we could have. Didn't play too badly, but you're playing a team that's high on confidence. And then Hull, we absolutely hammered them for the first 20 minutes. Could have been 3-4-0 up. Could have been 2-0 up within the first five minutes. Um, But we go a goal up concede a sloppy-ish goal, then get a man sent off. And from then, we're just completely on the back foot and whole controlled the game. But they wasn't a world-beating team. It wasn't a brilliant whole team that we played. And that's why I'm confident that we are we are going to go up. Because even when we're losing against Hull, you're not really worried about Hull going on a massive winning run and walking away with it. And I don't think that any team in this league will go on massive and massive winning runs. And would you say that if you weren't doing well, this could be potentially something? I mean, Pompey is struggling with, you know, the manager issues at the moment with Kenny Jackett, and I'm sure you've seen it on Twitter. Darren Ferguson's the manager that I, you know, I quite like the way he plays. How do you feel it's different this season? You know, Peterborough haven't started well and dropped off. Is he doing anything different as a manager? Um, well, we didn't play over Christmas, uh, so our Christmas period where we always lose. We all had COVID, so that was nice for us. Um, so we didn't really drop any points then, whether that actually changes anything. Um, we haven't got the single star player like we used to have. I mean, every single season, Peterborough have had by far the best player in the league, in my opinion. So we've had Ivan Tony, Madison, um, Gail Washington, Osama Belonga. We've had some top, top class players. This season, we've got a full 11 really good players. None of them are like going to sell for 10 million. Um, but we've got a lot of players that are worth a fair bit of money. Yeah, we've chucked a fair bit of money into, into the season this year. Um, we've got fantastic owners who have backed us massively. Um, but then we didn't spend in January. So there was no sort of disruption in the squad there, which... Has it made a difference? I don't know, but we're at the top, so I'm happy with it. Apart from that, I mean, Fergie's a good manager. He's had good experience. He's got us promoted before. He knows how to get out of this league. And that's exactly what we all want to do. So he's not like the safe ex-girlfriend that you keep going back to then after trying that, trying your way out? Yeah, I mean, some people, some people do think that. Um, not every Peterborough fan likes him. I personally... Go. Sometimes I like him, sometimes I don't. But we're all definitely Fergie in at the minute. In fact, the yellow block, uh, we do a poll on Twitter 
every month or so, the Fergie and Altometer. A lot of people hate the fact that they do that because they can't see it's a joke. But um, yeah, the last one that we did, it was 93% in and 7% out. So we're, we're all fairly Fergie in still. Do we need to get this going, boys? A poll? Monthly. <laughs> the risky, <laughs> risky little idea at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, do, what do you think of the chairman, actually? Because from the outside perspective, he seems like an, expo- an outspoken guy. He seems to be putting his, his money where his mouth is sometimes. I absolutely love him. Um, I listen to his podcasts as well. Obviously, they're not as good as the Yellow Block, but um, I like the way that he is outspoken. Uh, I like the fact that we do get to hear the chairman's opinions and also our other owners as well. They're both quite vocal as well, obviously talking about the new ground, talking about the academy. Um, Obviously, the two newer owners that we've got are very business minded. They want to run the club as a business, which is absolutely fine because they're running it in the right way. We're going in the right direction. We're getting a new stadium we're going in the right direction as a football club and we're hearing about it and they're taking sort of our opinions like to account, which is nice. And I think they genuinely do love the club now. Where would you say that Peterborough's sort of baseline should be then at the moment? Where where would you be in the football pyramid where you'd say, yeah, this is pretty much where we belong? Are you thinking sort of top of league one, mid-table championship? Where's your sort of resting level, do you think? We're not mid-table championship yet. Um, we are we are a top league club, a uh, league one club. I uh, don't think there's any denying that at the minute. Um, are we championship ready? Probably not. But I think in five years' time, when we've got the new stadium, the academy's been moved up uh, a category, we will then be a mid-table championship club. Obviously, in a perfect world, we'll go up this season do the double and go up next season as well. Is it going to happen? Definitely not. But you can all dream. If it is going to happen, though, do you know what? John, you go for it, mate. I've just jumped in on you. Go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry, Keith, just wanted to ask. Um, I was at the game in the Papa John's Trophy back in January, and it was one of the first you played since the pitch had seemed to take a turn for the worst. Um, What is the latest on that? And um, is it going to look like a more of a rugby pitch or a wet school field next Tuesday? Parts of the pitch are now green. It's it's still awful. Um, and yet again, the owners are gutted about it because they spent a lot of money on that pitch. But I don't know if you know, there's been a burst water main below it and it's just completely wrecked it. I mean, we've got a tent up that as soon as the game finishes, that tent goes over it. I don't really know how it works, but it's playing reasonably well. Even though it looks bad, it's playing quite well, which is nice. Is it playing well? It's not what I've heard. Is it, is it genuinely playing well? Or is that just a tactical thing? <laughs> it's playing a lot better than it looks. Okay. I mean, it, it looks, it does look like a capital. There's no denying that. Mm. But yet again, we're in League One. How many bad brands or bad pitches have we seen in League One over the years? Well, look, Pompey are playing absolutely rubbish on their own pitch, which looks absolutely beautiful at the moment. Shout out to the groundsman. So maybe playing up on a dug-up rugby pitch might actually be to our advantage against a you know, a slick team like Peterborough. I'd argue it won't, having been at Peterborough and seeing their Sunday... Uh, not Peterborough, sorry, Northampton on Saturday. Their pitch oh. was virtually Sunday league. 
and Pompey really didn't like it. So it's a yeah, uh, probably not is my prediction. That's great. That's just shot down any positivity I could try and muster for this podcast, John. Honestly, that, 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 that was my was the one. That was the one bit of positivity. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That was the one bit. Um, Pompey fans will quite know a lot about Dan Butler, obviously, since we discarded him and then he became really good. But obviously on the other side, you've got Ward as well, who plays on that sort of wing-back role if you do play both of those two together. Ward's got, you know, your assist leader with 10 assists in League One. Dan Butler's your third highest assist leader leader with uh, four assists. So is it fair to say that Clark Harris is getting a fair amount of wide balls in from those guys while they're cutting inside and feeding him so that he can get these 21 league goals he currently has in League One. Yeah, I mean, certainly against Hull, they played uh, quite central for the opening 20 minutes. We got loads of balls in. Don't get me wrong, Ward's a quality player, Butler's a quality player. Ward hasn't been fully on the boil the last few weeks. A lot of his crosses in haven't been good enough. Um, we've criticised him a bit for it, but he's still creating quite a lot of chances. And Johnson Clark Harris is good enough that he does put quite a few away. I mean, he's not—he's nowhere near as good as Ivan Tony was. Wait a second, quite, quite good. He scored 21 goals this season. He's prolific in this league, isn't he? You look at the strikers we've had. Well, yeah, I know he's not Ivan Tony. Yeah. He's a Premier League striker, but I'm saying mm. for this league, he's prolific, isn't he? 21 goals. Yeah. Yeah, he's the best striker in the league, yeah, but yeah, cool. it's League One. There aren't that many top quality players. And we're lucky we've been spoiled with a lot of top quality players. So for me to say he's okay, if he was a, a Gillingham or a Burton or a smaller club, not that we're a big club, but a smaller team sort of thing, they'd be raving he is the best striker in League One by a mile. So is there a way that Pompey can stop the attack to Johnson Clark Harris. I was just thinking if the fullbacks get forward and provide a lot of width, is that something that if Pompey can stop the fullbacks that they'll stop getting these crosses in? Oh, it's the point when you're trying, we're going to win anyway. No. Um, oh, I've got to try and do some analysis. Because I might as well pack, uh, up um, pack up the podcast. To be honest, we're not really, if you press us high, we're not brilliant then. Um, we, we can overplay and lose the ball a bit in our own half and that that's where we can be beaten um, if you press us a lot you'll probably win the ball um, and you'll probably do pretty well I mean we've just lost Jack Taylor as well who's without doubt the best central midfielder that I've seen in the league probably in the last few years as well um, now him being out is a big loss for us we've also just had Ethan Hamilton sent off against Hull so we're going to be playing like our, forward, our fourth choice central midfielder against you, which is where you are going to probably have the upper hand. And we've got Reese Brown, who's come from Huddersfield on loan again. He's reasonably decent, but he can have off games. And we're going to need him to be absolutely on point to beat you. We're interested to get sort of Jonty's opinion on something here as well, tying in with that, that yeah. high, something that Pompey utilised really well in the run-up to Christmas. Most notably, I what stood out for me was in the Sunderland game where we utilised a high press and just put so much pressure on their back line and it led to so many mistakes and, and changes in possession in their first third. But that seems to have, sort of the, the success of that seems to have tailed off a lot in the last two and a half months or so, maybe, that's an estimate. I'm just wondering, as John T's opinion, as to why that might be the case, it's not being utilised as successfully and whether or not it could be utilised successfully against Peterborough if that is something they're susceptible to. 
I think a lot of that is down to team selection, personally. Um, you're right, that Sunderland game, there was traces of it against Lincoln uh, in that away win there. And the one that stood out for me, actually, in that category was, I think it was the home, it was at home, I think it was the crew game. And, um, you know, Pompey didn't really pass the ball around a lot. You know, they, they kind of just let crew do their own thing. But that Williams and Mark went up front and uh, I think it was... I think it was Curtis and Harness out wide that day. They just kind of, they stood, they're kind of, it was almost like hacker resemblant where they just stared looking at crew like, go on, bring it on. And like, they just picked them off. And there was a couple of really good goals in that. And it was one of those games where it was like in that free scoring period before Christmas where, you know, when Pompey were really at it, you, you really knew about it. And, and it was so exciting to watch because you knew that, yeah, Pompey won't see a lot of the ball. But when they got it, you know, bam, we're off. And that was really interesting to see. And I think, again, that's down to team selection. One thing for me that stood out since Christmas is every week, especially the last few games, it's been four changes, five changes. Now, there's been a couple of injuries in that and, you know, there's very little you can do about that. But for me, I can't get over the fact that if you look before Christmas, John Marquis and Ryan Williams started up front for a lot of those games, started up front a couple after Christmas as well. And often it was that combination that worked you know even if it wasn't them scoring they just kind of fitted the rest of the team and just gave them a good platform to go off you know it didn't matter if they scored or if they didn't you think just they just gave that team really good balance and you know whilst it is a 4-4-2 Williams it just runs and runs and you know that's one thing you will get uh, I think there's definitely question marks over his end product but in terms of his work rate you, you can't knock that at all from him and yeah, I think it all depends on team selection. But the issue is they just haven't looked capable of doing that in a very long time. I think part of that's down to selection and, again, confidence as well, which, again, needs to come back, especially at a game like Peterborough. But if there is that opportunity, I'm sure that, you know, Jacket will identify that as a, as a planned t- target of attack almost. What Keith's got to be worried about, really, is... Us winning the Checker Trade Trophy first final for a day, or the Papa John's Pro Trade, right? On Saturday, the lads go out on the piss, celebrate, right? Yeah. Open bus tour through South Sea, jacket at the front, right? Yeah. And then they're all pumped up for the game on Tuesday. And that confidence that John T's talking about that's missing comes back with a bang as we retain the trophy (laughs) for a second year running. No, it's not happening. All right, let's get back to the end of the game. I've been ranting now. Keith, I'd like to know your score prediction, please, for the game and the goal scorers. I think it's an absolutely massive game. I think with both teams being pretty low on confidence at the minute, neither team will be happy with a draw. Whoever wins it, it's a massive win for them. Whoever loses it, it's a massive loss. I think that we will win, to be honest. Uh, I think we'll probably win sort of 2-1. Clark Harris will probably get at least one of them. Um, but I really think it will be a really good game. I hope it is anyway. Well, we hope it is too, mate. A close game would be something that we could uh, we can all hope for here. But, mate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's much appreciated. Where can the listeners find you? Uh, on Twitter, at The Yellow Block. On Facebook, uh, Facebook forward slash The Yellow Block. On Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also and, on Farmhouse. And lastly, is that background your actually your house? Uh, this is my bar. 
this is my bar. What the fuck <laughs> is that? Is? Fucking what amazing, flex. mate. This is my bar. Absolutely. Screenshot this. Get a screenshot. That is incredible. No, I'm not joking. That is that is one of everyone else around the country is annoyed that pubs aren't open, but you know. Mind I've if you've got your own. That's just exactly. the way of getting around. <laughs> I love that that. I the, the lockdown pain a little bit. Anyway, thanks, Keith, mate. It's much appreciated. That's awesome. Thank you, mate. Bye. Bye. This podcast is a proud member of the FanHub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. All right, I'm here with Alan from the Salford City FC podcast. And Alan, thanks for coming on the show. Hi, thanks for having me, guys. You okay? Yeah, not bad. How are you looking forward to winning a major trophy this weekend? I'm going to say major inverted commas. <laughs> um, for me personally, I can't say major because I've been quite critical of this tournament as a whole. Um, in my personal opinion, um, I'm not a, not a fan of the tournament with the under-21s in it. I was going to ask you guys the same question, actually. What's your verdict on this tournament with the under-21s? Uh, horrendous. I boycotted the last final and I won't be watching it again, to be honest. That's, that's Freddie with one view. I mean, it's split opinion, Alan, I think is a fair comment. Um, when we were in the final against Sunderland, we still took 40,000 to Wembley. So there's still a, you know, a large contingent of people who either yeah. still want to win every competition or just fancy the day out at Wembley and abandoned their morals for that. And I, I class myself in that category absolutely exactly. shamelessly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't blame people opinion. for doing that either. I don't blame people. It's just... Yeah, I, yeah. yeah I think I think obviously all the social fans that know me know my opinion on this. And last season, I didn't go to any of the under-21 games at all. Um, but the minute all the under-21 were out, I went pretty much. Newport semi-final, cracking away game in a weekday. Um Finish it with a penalty shootout, and obviously we end up at Wembley a year and a half down the line. So it's a shame that other fans can't go. Players to watch this season's been it's been a mixed bag really because we, we have Gary Neville and Sky, as we all know, backing backing club to back the managers. We're five games in, sacks Alexander for the style of football, even though we're unbeaten. Well, your point, Richie Wellings, obviously got Swindon promoted last season. Promise of this amazing style of football is attacking any DNA. My God, it's been woeful. Absolutely awful. I've been very critical of Richie Wellings' style so far. He's offered absolutely, barring, barring a few glimpses here and there, we've offered absolutely nothing. We've gone backward this season, in my opinion. A lot of Salford fans will agree and disagree with what I'm saying. Have you guys followed League 2 at all this year at all? I think we've looked probably down towards League Two, just out of interest more than we've probably looked up yeah. to the Championship. Yeah. I can speak for myself on that one um, <laughs> in terms of sort of game watching. But yeah, you're sitting sort of comfortable mid table, right? So I think a lot of a lot of fans looking at that would say, you know, Salford City comfortable League table. That's that's a that's a pretty good place to be if you look at where the club have come from over the last few years. Why is it that you you are feeling disenfranchised like you just described when you know, on paper it's not the worst place to be in the world compared to where you've come from. Yeah, I, I think I think it's more the expectation with obviously it's well publicised who's involved, how much has been thrown at the club as well. For me personally, obviously going most weeks for so many years now, it's I just think we've got promoted too quickly, and and, and I think it's caught up with us to be honest. 
Um, we we haven't got the training facility that, to train in pitches like a school pitch. We can't train every day on it. Um, pitches, I mean, you've probably seen it in a documentary if you watched it. Um, we, we had to go to Stockport and train quite regularly, which is not ideal. The players on this squad we've got at the minute is, is incredible for Salford City standards. And me personally, we should be in our top three quite comfortably. Henderson up top, James Wilson, Ashley Hunter, Darren Gibson, I know he's been injured all season, Halaki in there. The team on paper is quality, but Richie Welland is just not getting the best out of the players. What are the, what are the tactical deficiencies then that you described? Because you said about the change in the style of play from Alexander to Wellens. Is it that the players are taking a while to get used to it or is it the tactics themselves? Um, it, it, it could be a bit of both, to be honest, because it could be a, a mentality issue as well. Uh, it seems to be under, under Richie Welland, he's just not playing players in the correct position for some unknown reason. For example, yesterday against Crawley, we had a defensive mid and Jason Lowe right back. Whereas we've got Clark, who can play right back, played at centre back. And we had Oscar Frelkow playing in defensive mid, who's a right back. It just, the formation just, doesn't, just didn't work. Um, this team selections he's picking, he's baffling, playing Ashley Hunter, who's a left winger, a right wing back. It's, yeah, it's, it's just, just mind baffling. So, my expectations this season were before you fired your manager, Salford to try and make a playoff run. Not an automatic yeah. run. Personally, I thought that. My bet were at the start of the season was on Cambridge to go up. So they're doing all right. We'll, we'll see if they if they continue to do that. I think that from what I've have speaking to some of your colleagues and other people is that Salford just don't have a, quite an identity. So what is the team like? What is your philosophy? What is Wellens going to play? You know, what is Pompey going to look out for? What system is he trying to use? Uh, to be honest, I don't think Wellens knows himself. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, he's, he's using three at the back. With um, with the wing back pushing forward, that that's a system he's trying to use. I, I, I can see the identity he's trying to create. He wants that attacking flair, but it's just it's just not working. Um, in our midfield on paper is strong, but it's just weak in the game. You've got Henderson up top, who's he did well at Rochdale, bagging twenty goals a season in League One, League Two, League Two. He just I, I don't know what's changed. He just can't cut it. I mean, yeah, he's got 11 league goals, but the amount of chances he's missing, it's just incredible. And he's missing some absolute sitters, one-on-ones. He missed a free header from two yards out. It's just, it's, 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 for me, at this moment in time, he just looks lost for confidence. And he just, he's not a league, he, he, he shouldn't be starting at the minute. There was one player you didn't mention who I would like to know a tiny bit about, Ibu Torre. How do you think he's performed this season? Overall for Salford, he's an absolute legend. Um, season in, season now, he's been absolutely Mr. Consistent. Um, he set the standard so high for, for his level um, for Salford. Personally, this season, I don't think he's been as good as he has been. But that's just my opinion. And there is other Salford fans that will disagree with that. Is that is that because of the way Wellington is playing, playing? Potentially, he could be holding him back a little bit where season in, season out, he's forever getting assists, scoring a few goals. This season, he's still yet to score, which is rare for Torre. Um, so personally, I think this season, he's just not, he's not set, the, he's not been that standard where he usually is. Um, but, 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 but I am hearing, um, he could potentially leave at the end of the season, but we'll see. 
Could you see him playing at League One level? Personally, I'm not. No, no, not not as a regular starter, possibly not. And I probably will get criticised for this by Salford fans, but that's just my honest assessment of Torrey. Going going forward for the season, he's just lacked that cutting edge. Defensively, he's solid. Cool. I don't usually ask for such analysis of how you're going to set up, but since you're in League Two and even the most diehard listeners following the, uh, this podcast might not co- um, might not listen to... Fucking hell. Might not watch League Two. <laughs> <laughs> um, how are you guys going to line up against us uh, and what's your score prediction for the game against Pompey? Good question. Um, he dropped one of our best centre-backs this season in Dishon Bernard, who's on loan from Man- Manchester United. I'm not sure if that was a, because he had a, um, a knock or not. Me personally, I would line it with Halagi in goal. Best keeper in the league two by an absolute mile. Um, personally, I would line it with um, Clark at centre-back alongside Dishon Bernard and Jordan Turnbull. Um, again, Torre, um, left wing-back. Right wing-back is um, a tricky one. If we, if we do play the wing-back formation, I'd probably put Ash Hunter at right wing-back because he has to start one of our best creative midfielders. Um in midfield, I would obviously start um, Coots, we don't know him from Fleetwood. Um, Jordan Lowe will start. Uh, I hope he doesn't because it's too defensive for me. Jason Lowe is way too way too defensive. Um, and then obviously I would start Got in centre mid towards the top. What, what, what's, what, do we know the conditions on this starting lineup yet, by the way? Yeah, you can use whoever you want now. I think that's right, John T, isn't it? Has that been confirmed? Yeah, everyone you want, unless they've played already for another club of season. So if you've if um if you sign someone in January and they've played for another club in this competition first half season, then they can't play. But apart from that, it's a free for all. Right, okay. Right. Again, um Robbie got if if potentially he's not played for Leeds, um He's the, he's the one that can un- unlock people's defences for us at the minute. He, he can do quality uh, dribbles on the ball and take people on. Um, up top, I'd love to see Henderson dropped. I really would, but Richie Wellings just won't drop him. I'd, I'd, I'd swap him for all day long for James Wilson. Um, but Richie Wellings, I, I think he'll make a few changes. I think he might even go for 4 4 2 formation. He's really unpredictable who he's going to play, to be honest. He chops and changes a lot. Henderson's good at scoring against Pompey, so you might as well start him and get confidence going for him for the league, right? Do, do you know what? I'm really not sure you are, mate. <laughs> I hope he does, but um, I think I think the I think the cup finals come at a good time for both clubs. To be honest, um, I think it will take take both of our distractions from the league at this moment in time, which we both I think we need, don't we? It buys us 48 hours off. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. How? how- how do you want to line up then, Alan? You mentioned about sort of either lining up defensively and having a defensive mindset, but w- would you rather that was the case or do you think that you should be lining up going for the win, trying to go toe-to-toe with Pompey? Absolutely toe-to-toe. I mean, at the end of the day, all, all the pressure is going to be on Portsmouth. Um, they're the League One club. They're the, let, let's not sh- be disrespectful there, but they're mild, mild bigger than Salford. Um, we're, we're just a small club with um, a small fan base with no history. So we've we've got nothing to lose in this final. 
Cool. Um, okay, let's go into the end of it now. What is your score prediction for the game against Salford? And how are you going to celebrate afterwards if you win? <laughs> With a Papa John's pizza, probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why not? Um, I, I, I can't see anything but a Portsmouth win. 3 0 Portsmouth win, to be honest. With, 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 with that in, in front of goal, we, we just struggled to score more than one, to be honest. And I, I can't see anything but a Portsmouth win. I really can't. Well, I mean, you guys aren't in the best of form either. So we'll see, really. Pompey, one win in seven. So we'll see see what happens. But Alan, thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. Nope. Take care, guys. Cheers. Peterborough. I mean, they're a pretty good team, lads. And uh, it's quite interesting because Keith there thinks Peterborough are going up. Andy? Yeah, it's hard to disagree. I mean, they sound like they've had a bit of a rough week running up to, to now, but it just shows how everything is relative, right? They're, they're sort of saying that Johnson Clark Harris has been a bit of a come down for them <laughs> but I think you'd sort of take him over almost any other striker in, in League One if not every other striker in League One so uh, yeah everything's relative obviously Ivan Tony was a bit of a a bit of a sort of a exception to the rule there yeah they're they're going to be there or thereabouts at the end of the season until sort of last game or two they put a good good uh, string of results together and yeah traditionally a team that have looked really impressive when they've come down to Fratton Park and I've seen them in the past in, you know, almost any season I can think of. But, you know, we've picked up some good results against them. And obviously the game before Christmas, we managed to get a, a very good result against them at Fratton in that game that fans were allowed back at. So, you know, there's there shouldn't be any fear going onto the pitch because they've already picked up three points against them this season. We're generally better away from home than we are at home. Having said that, I mean, how much positivity can you throw into it after the last two, two or three games? We're just going to have to hope, aren't we? That's what it's going to come down to. We're going to have to hope that the players somehow sort it out and work out what's going on, whether that's a, from a management issue or a player personnel issue or whatever it happens. We need the magic to start flying around. Someone needs to work it out, tell everyone else. And just, I know Kenny Jackett spoke about going back to basics in the game before, before Sunderland and everyone needs to put the effort in and do the job and... You know, that's a good start. And I don't think it's because the players don't want to win. Let's be honest, they're all professional athletes who are competitive and want to do best themselves and for the club as well. So let's just hope we can find something together and uh, get that to win. But let's go around, boys. Freddie Webb, you've been very quiet today. So I'm going to ask you first for your score prediction, please. I don't see a Portsmouth win this game. I, I, I don't know why. I might be overly pessimistic as usual, but I don't see it. The... the, the, the Defensively, there have been too many individual errors and Peterborough's main strength is their front three and the depth they have in their attack is ridiculous. Clark Harris, Dembele, Schmodix, I could keep going. So I, I don't see reports of clawing it out, especially with the performances that they've had. Um, I see a 2-0 Peterborough win myself. Andy? Well, I don't want to spill too many secrets, but my normal rule of thumb doing predictions on the pod is... When I think Pompey are going to win, I add a goal into the deficit to make it even more optimistic. If I think it's going to be a draw, I say Pompey will win by one goal. And when I think we're going to lose, I call it as a draw. So, uh, Such a mystery, case... mate. Such a mystery you are. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The, honestly, the, the IQ points needed for that. Can you imagine? Yeah, um, I, I do think I'd, I'd be very happy with a one or draw. And I think that would demonstrate a good turnaround in fortune. So read into my last two statements and link them however you want. But yeah, I'll go with a one-all draw. 
Who's scoring the goal for us, mate? Oh, who isn't scoring the goal for us, Hugh? That is the question. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, last time I called it, it happened. I'll go with Marquis to bang himself back into form. It worked last time, so we'll give it another whack this time. John T, which is a cool prediction. <laughs> um, t- tough one to predict against the Peterborough win purely on the basis that I thought, you know, since since actually that game against Pompey where they were actually quite poor before Christmas, Peterborough have been in, just in really good form. Picked a bit now, but I just think I'm going for a 2-1 Peterborough win. I just think that since when they played Pompey before Christmas, when I actually think they were really poor and Pompey got a good result that day, they, they've been largely consistent. We're on a slight low now. But I think they've just got a lot of talent in that team, as Keith was was alluding to earlier. And 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 I think, you know, it will be a spirited performance in Pompey. I don't think it'll be a it'll be a very uh, you know, it'll be a very one-sided game. But I just think Peterborough's just got that attacking quality and you know, it might be a bit too much for a Pompey team who have started to show some frailties at that recently. And who's bagging that goal for you, John T? You you sticking by your Lee Brown discussion earlier on? <laughs> um, <laughs> Lee Brown, sure. <laughs> um, I'm going to go, uh, yeah, I'll go John Marcus as well. And um, I just think he's just looking like Pompey's most natural scorer and has done all season. All right, then I'm going to go for a 3 1 Peterborough win. I, I, th- I think, you know, it gets down to 2 1. Maybe we put some pressure on it late game and we go for it, can see the goal again. So I'm hoping for a spirited performance. You know, if there's one goal in it near the end and then we push for it and Peterborough grab one, I'm not going to feel on the counter anyway. I'm not going to feel grieved about that. So that's for a little bit of positivity. But yeah, okay. I want to go 3 1 and the goal scorer for Pompey. Let's go mad with this. I, I was tempted to say Ellis Harrison just for the lulls to people at me, but actually. <laughs> I'm he scores gonna... penalties, to be fair, and that's what Portsmouth have oh, done. Oh, okay, okay, okay. No, I'm going to say if he starts, is give Harvey White a go. He looks like someone who's actually going to buzz around the pitch and make himself a nuisance and get into good positions, make those positive runs like he did to get that header. So, yeah, I'm going to be repping the, the boy from Spurs, Harvey White, to get a goal. But All right, everyone, thanks for listening, and until next time. Oh, wait a sec, we should just talk about Salford. Do we care about the cut result? Go on then, let's preview good it. Good prediction, mate. Let's do it. All right, and then we'll go around the table again for the Salford one. It's Saturday's game. We're playing Salford. We can't go. It's at Wembley. Champions for a day, boys, or not? Freddie Webb, it's you again, mate. I think Portsmouth have to have enough to beat Salford. Even with a, maybe a half-and-half half side where they change some things, maybe play Nicolas and what more at centre-half, maybe start Geordie Hulula, that'll be a change. I think even even if they rotate the side a bit, I still definitely think they've got enough, especially since we've heard that Salford are struggling as well. I'm going to go over 2-1 Portsmouth win. And I'm going to go, so if Jordi Hula starts, he's getting a brace at Wembley. Nice, I like that, Freddie. A little bit of, little bit of optimism there for us, you know. Get your pizzas out. Andy, who are you saying? What are you saying? I've honestly not given this any thought until this exact moment, Hugh. So I'm essentially going to be making up a score, to be honest. That's um, the PO forecast way, Andy. Research? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I, I think Pompey should have too much for Salford. Uh, I was surprised by... Some of the things Alan said, to be honest, for for a team that, you know, Salford size to be mid-table comfortably in League Two, are surprised by, yeah, by the attitudes a little bit there. So I think a Pompey 3-1 win with sort of the, by sort of a stay of execution in terms of fans' patience a little bit, um, sort of the average fans' patience, yeah. Go on, John T. You're going to make it three out of three for a Pompey win or are you going to, are you going to try and tear no. it down, burn it all down? No, no and uh, uh, yeah, um, I, I'm incredibly fortunate I'm actually going to the game uh, a couple of at Wembley, so I'm very much looking forward to it. 
Um, I'm going to go 2-1 Pompey. Um, I think it will just, I think it'll kind of dominate the game. Um, just try and get that confidence back. So we might nip one, at, 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 you know, at, at an error. But I think I'm going to go 2-1 and goal scorers. I can see go Ronan Curtis and uh, Sean Raggett, Bill Edder. Love that. And I'm going to finish it off with a 4-0 Pompey win. I'm going to go for a Marcus Harness hat-trick and a goal from John Marcus. There you go. Why not? 4-0. Let's have it. I've all, all only saying that because all the Salford lads think they are awful, like genuinely awful. And in League Two, everyone else says they're awful. We've got to go get some goals sometime. We've got the ability. Come on, boys. Get out there. Salford are genuinely bad. All right, so let's get some goals. 4 now. It's not even heard of at Cups. They're usually low scoring. I'm putting it out there. There's some confidence into the podcast here. 4 now. John C, mate, thanks for coming on the podcast. Where can people find you? Thank you very much. Um, you can find me on Twitter at John C. Coleman. And um, of course, um, all my Pompey coverage goes on Hampshire Live. So we're on Twitter, Facebook. So, um, and yeah, on HampshireLive.com. So go and check all that out. Cool. Freddie and Andy, everyone knows where to find you because you're on the same every week. So until next time, Play up, Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.